Uh, yeah, glad you're here. Glad you're here. My name is Curtis, and uh, we're going to be studying Daniel chapter 6 today. The title of today's message is God is not fooled. God is not fooled. So, uh, forgive me, I've, my throat's been having some issues today. Apparently, I don't talk this much just in my everyday life, um, but today I am. Here we are. So, we're going to be talking a little bit. We're going to intro a little bit with Darius the Mede. We left off on Darius the Mede at the end of Daniel chapter 5. If you haven't listened to the, to the uh, I was going to say episodes. If you haven't listened to the sermons leading up to this point, uh, check those out. Uh, it's going to help you understand the book of Daniel a lot. And uh, So anyway, Daniel uh, chapter 5 left off with Darius the Mede, who is a main character in Daniel chapter 6. So we're going to talk about him a little bit and learn a little bit about who he is first. So last week we talked about uh, different historical texts that Cyrus the, the Great of Persia took over Babylon. You guys remember that? He had set up his army in two different locations and poured into Babylon through where the Euphrates once ran. They diverted it and then uh, attacked the city. So that was at the end of Daniel chapter 5. Then we see at the end... Darius the Mede received the kingdom being 62 years old. So who is Darius the Mede? Um, some people use the fact that Darius is not found in uh, extra-biblical sources, extra-biblical historical texts, and say that because Darius isn't found in all of these texts, then uh, the book of Daniel is wrong and we can dismiss it altogether. So that's the end of the study today. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so there's two main theories about who Darius the Mede is, right? The first theory is that Darius and Cyrus the Great are the same person. Uh, that Cyrus the Great, the Persian king, and Darius the Mede are the same person. It was common for people in ancient times to have multiple names uh, or variations of names. An example of this can be found in Esther where um, the Greeks had Xerxes, right? And he also was known as Ahasuerus, found in the book of Esther. So two names, two variations of the name. Some issues with this view arise when you look at Cyrus the Great's lineage and Darius the Medes lineage. In Daniel 9.1, Darius is clearly said to be the seed of the Medes. In Daniel 6.28, Cyrus is clearly identified as Persian. So that presents a little bit of an issue. In addition to this, in Daniel 9.1, Darius' father is said to be Ahasuerus, uh, not the same one found in Esther, but Cyrus' father is Cambyses. So, contrary to popular belief, you can't have two dads. So, they have different dads, which means they're not the same person. Okay? We tracking? Everybody with me? Okay. So, the other theory, <clears throat> and the one that I think is correct... Um, is described really well in this article by Israel My Glory magazine. So I'll just read this article. It says, The second and probably correct explanation is that Darius was Gubaru, which was another man, a Mede whom Cyrus appointed to rule the province of Babylon for 14 years. Bible scholar John C. Whitcomb believes Darius the Mede fits the historical record related to Gubaru. Gubaru's appointment also coincides with Daniel 5.31, which many scholars say is better translated, Darius received the kingdom. 
So rather than Darius took the kingdom, so Cyrus took it over, right? But it says Darius received the kingdom. Also in Daniel 9.1, it states that Darius was made king, which is a passive verb. So it means that, that somebody else made him king, right? So, so I'm thinking Cyrus made him king over that area. Interestingly, Gubaru is said to have been born in 601 BC, which would have made him 62, coinciding with Daniel 531. In addition to the ancient historian, to that ancient historian Flavi, Flavius Josephus wrote, Babylon was taken by Darius, and when he and his kinsman Cyrus had put an end to the dominion of the Babylonians, he, Darius, was 62 years old. He was the son of Astigius and had another name among the Greeks. For many years, skeptics did not believe Belshazzar existed, the king that we talked about last week. For many years, skeptics did not believe Belshazzar existed. But they changed their minds when in the late 19th century, cuneiform tablets were published that clearly referenced him. Okay, so just because Darius the Great is not found in extra biblical historical documents right now doesn't mean that they won't find them in the future. Uh, Skeptics have had this same argument multiple times. Oh, this person isn't found anywhere else except in the Bible. The Bible must be false. Well, time and time again, uh, there's documents discovered that show that that person was who they said they were and the Bible is true. It's happened many times before. And this is no different. So we can believe the Bible, right? We can trust the Bible. So we're going to read Daniel 6. That's who Darius is, a little historical background on him. Now we're going to jump in. So it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to him so that the king would suffer no loss. Then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, that they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him according to the law of his God. These, so these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, and the royal statute, and counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever... Uh, petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. 
So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king established may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, and the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions, so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. So the king was exceedingly glad for him, and commanded that they should take up Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injuries, whatever, was found on him, because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them, and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. The king, then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel 6 begins with giving us an idea of how their government structure works, right? Gives us a little picture of it. So we're going to throw an image up here. This is kind of the layout of their government. So they had Cyrus the Great, who oversaw the entire Medo-Persian kingdom. Then you had Darius the Mede, who was king of Babylon. Then you had the three governors, including Daniel, so two other governors, and Daniel um, there. And then you have the 120 satraps below them. So the governors were the accountants to make sure that the 120 satraps brought in what they were meant to bring in. Their, their responsibility was governing and collecting taxes. So the satraps were simply representatives of the king over certain regions or provinces. The, the population of Babylon at its height was estimated to be about 200,000 people. 
Um, Daniel and the governors were the checks and balances in that government. They were ch the checks and balances for the satraps, making sure that the king suffered no loss, making sure that tax dollars were not being used inappropriately. Darius considered setting Daniel over the whole realm to keep track of not just the 120 satraps, but also the other two governors, because it says an excellent spirit was in him. Daniel distinguished himself among the other governors and the satraps because he had an excellent spirit. His role was one of, uh, was one of the governors that the, the, the governors and the satraps would report to. So that was going to be his role, right? They would all report to him. So he was the accountant for the kingdom, basically. He, he had to keep track of each dollar that came in. So are there any accountants in the room? Any accountants? Raise your hand. No. Okay, so I can say whatever I want about them, and it won't, no, I'm just kidding. No. So what qualities do you have to have to be an excellent accountant? What qualities? You have to have good organizational skills, right? You should probably be organized. You should be an efficient worker, especially someone like Daniel, who's overseeing a kingdom. You've got to be efficient. You've got to be detail-oriented and good at catching mistakes, right? You've got to be vigilant. But more than anything, I think the number one thing you have to have is you have to be honest. You have to be trustworthy because none of those other things matter if you're not honest, right? Is that right? So the king liked Daniel because he was trustworthy. Darius could trust that Daniel was going to catch any mistakes or mishandling of funds and report them to him. And I've noticed throughout my life that if you are an honest person, you tend to draw you tend to be drawn to honest people, right? You want to deal with honest people. You want to be around them. Um, before working here at the church, I did valet. Um, and so basically, the valets, we would all pool our tips throughout the day and then distribute them at the end. So it's pretty important that you hire honest people, right? <laughs> they're, they're controlling what you're taking home. So I was at the valet job for multiple years, and so I, I became like one of the head bellmen, and me and one of the other bellmen, I know, it's pretty pre prestigious, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. Um, but me and this other guy, we would uh, kind of vet the new, the new bellman-to-be, potentially, and make sure that they were honest and they weren't going to be stealing from us. Um, so, it's, so it's, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had the right people around us. First John 1 John 1.7 says, but if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So I don't want to over-spiritualize my valet job, but there was a real sense of, like, uh, we, we want to live in the light and be honest with one another, but we can't have fellowship with people who are not being honest. We don't want them anywhere near this job. <laughs> so um, if one person is honest, it generally it kind of exposes other dishonest people, it, the light exposes the dark, right? So um, we can trust that that honesty that we live by is going to kind of expose the darkness. So um, I imagine that these politicians in Babylon, that's what they were. They, they were leaders of provinces. They were basically mayors. These politicians being upset at Daniel for being so honest, right? Captain Jack Sparrow from uh, <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean... Always a good source. Um, he quotes, he says, Me, I'm dishonest. And a dishonest man you can always trust to be dishonest. Honestly, it's the honest ones you have to watch out for. 
So all these politicians, they're over here thinking, we can trust each other. We're all dishonest. We all know we're going to be dishonest, taking bribes and all of that. But it was Daniel, the honest one, that they had to watch out for, right? Because he might rat him out. So all the other leaders were being dishonest, and they couldn't trust Daniel, so they had to do something about it. Daniel 6.4, So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. So what did they do? What did they do? They've got this problem of Daniel, and they need to take care of it. What do they do? They uh, look for a charge against him. They go for the old smear tactic. Right? All 122 of them are sitting down trying to find some blot or blemish in his character to try to take him down. They search everywhere to find something against him that will disqualify him. In the U.S., we have uh, politicians that are trying to sway people to, do, um, to, to subscribe to what they're wanting to do. But in Bam- Babylon, they only had to, to sway one person. It was the king. He had the power to elect a certain person. So they're doing all of this work to try to find some dark closet that, that Daniel's hiding things. Basically, what I'm saying is that if he had a home in Florida, they would have had the Persian FBI searching that thing for anything they could find to incriminate him. So, so after they had scoured every corner of his life, right, they're looking in every dark closet, everywhere, they, they had nothing. They come up with nothing. So they, had, so they say to themselves in verse 5, We shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So they turn to his faith. We've seen multiple times whenever a politician is strong in their faith, others will attack them and say, They can't be trusted. They're, they're, their devotion to, is to God. We can't trust them. You know, we see that all the time. So these, these uh, politicians, they concoct a plan to use his devotion to God against him. So they probably spoke with some other Jews uh, that had been in captivity. They probably met with them and asked them, hey, how do we trap this Daniel? How do we back him into a corner so that he uh, basically messes up and we can, we can pin him against the wall for it? They knew that they could count on him to stay true to his God and to his godly values and that they could play dirty and that he wouldn't play dirty, right? I think sometimes we feel justified in playing dirty just because someone else is. Sometimes we think, well, they did it to me. Why shouldn't I be able to do it to them? They deserve it. They did it to me first. See, we are not offered the same opportunity that we feel we deserve. When we're desperate and lost in sin, when we were desperate and lost in sin, you know what God did? He gave us what we did not deserve. In Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrate his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not they're playing dirty, so I get to play dirty, which is basically every reality TV show out there. Don't ask me how I know. Okay. No. But... We are obligated as believers to, to respond as Christ did. He gave us what we did not deserve. So God didn't wait for us to clean up our act. And while, we're, while we were still sinning against him and offending him, he died for us. If you want to be like Christ, we have to treat people with the same love and grace that Jesus treats them with, even 
if they're continually hurting us. That doesn't mean we don't have boundaries set up, but we need to extend the same love and grace that Jesus extended to us while he was being hurt. So when someone lies about you or says something bad about you, have confidence that the truth will come out in due time and that our God is just. Genesis 4, when Cain had killed Abel, and Cain was trying to be deceptive about what he had done, he's trying to skirt his way out of it, what does God say to him? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What does that mean? Well, in other words, it means you can't hide from me. I know everything that is played out, everything that will play out, and God cannot be deceived. Everything will be revealed in due time, and we cannot fool God. God will not be fooled. So they wrote up a decree, right? These politicians, they write up a decree that sounds irresistible to King Darius, and they bring it into his throne room. And they start with something amazing because they're just trying to butter him up as much as possible. King Darius, live forever. King Darius, live forever. And then they start with a lie. They say, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together. Well, obviously we know that's not the case, right? Daniel was not present and they knew it. They knew that his number one guy, Daniel, was not there, but they wanted it to sound like he was in on this plan. And then they continue to give him the plan to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions. So King Darius, thinking this sounds pretty good, right? Thinking all of his top officials are in agreement, on this decree, he's thinking, oh man, like I've got all these guys with all different kinds of views. I've got agreement on both sides of the aisle. I'm going to go ahead and give them a win, right? He, he, he signs off on the decree. And do you notice what it says after that? It says, so that it cannot be changed according to the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Why couldn't it be changed? Why couldn't it be changed? We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in just a minute. So now Daniel knew that the writing was signed. They had probably, once the decree was signed, I'm sure they let all the officials know, they let all the, the higher-ups in the government know what was going on so that they could let their people know and, and hold everyone accountable to it. So Daniel knows, and knowing this new decree has gone into effect, he goes home and does what was his custom since the early days, and he prays with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Why did he pray toward Jerusalem, you might be asking? Isn't that kind of an Islam thing with Mecca? Um, why was he praying toward Jerusalem? Well, I think it was him in confidence, believing that God was going to deliver the Jews one day, believing that they would be delivered from captivity, believing that he was going to bring them back into the land that God had promised them. So Daniel, as fearless as ever, does exactly what he had always done, right? He goes home and he prays with his windows wide open. You might have thought, Daniel, why don't you just close your windows? There's no uh, requirement in the Bible that, that you should, you know, open your windows. But he did what he always did, right? So Dr. Jeremiah, David Jeremiah, in his book, The Handwritings on the Wall, points out how powerful it is that Daniel did not change his customs when the heat was turned up. He did what was his custom, and he did what he had always done. He also points out in his book these four admirable attributes that Daniel has that I think we should pursue. So we're just going to briefly touch on them. 
So the first attribute that Daniel had that I think we should pursue, and I think is an indicator of our maturity in our spiritual life, is his consistent attitude. We notice in Daniel 5 and in chapter 6, he's, it's mentioned that he has an excellent spirit, which means he had a good attitude, right? Daniel had been through a lot. It wasn't like his life was smooth and so he had a good attitude as a result. He had been taken into captivity as a young man. He had then grown to prominence in Babylon. Then he was banished from the throne room and faded into obscurity. Then he was brought back on the scene by King Belshazzar. And now he's dealing with people who are trying to malign his character. Yet he was consistent in his attitude through the whole thing. The second attribute that I think we should try to emulate of Daniel's was that he was consistent in his performance. Daniel was consistent in his performance And we know that he was excellent at what he did. He was a man God used because he was trustworthy, and he would say exactly what God told him to say. God could trust him. He was consistently telling the truth, even when it might put him in immediate physical danger. He was consistent in his performance. He was also consistent in purity. The highest governing authorities at the time all banded together to try to find something against him try to expose some dark past that he might have had, some dark secret that, that would have revealed his true character to everyone, but they could find nothing because he was faithful. He was consistent in his purity. And he was also consistent in prayer. We learned that Daniel was a man of consistent prayer. He prayed three times a day, as was his custom since the early days. He was now in his 80s, and he had been in captivity since his teenage years, so he had been praying the same way that whole time. He was consistent in his prayer life, and it showed. So I think those are four things that we can emulate of Daniel's in our own lives to become more mature. He was consistent in his attitude, consistent in his performance, consistent in purity, and consistent in his prayer. So we can learn a lot from Daniel's example, right? It's important how we live our consistency of our walk with Jesus. It it reveals a lot about our maturity. So these men, right, these men, they're trying to trap Daniel, and they, they assembled and found him praying, and something tells me they weren't all just hanging out together, and they happened to look in his window, and, aha, we caught you. You know, they, they gathered for the intent to catch him in an incriminating act. So they think to themselves, we've got him. We've got him. We found him. We saw him with his windows open. We saw him praying. He's doing what the king declared that he should not be doing. Um, And they probably weren't expecting their plan to come together as quickly as it did, I imagine. I mean, they're thinking, it sounds like it's the same day. Like he went home and he was praying and then they caught him. So that's pretty amazing. I mean, they're, they're thinking he's falling right into the trap. So they go before the king in verse 12. Probably later that same day, maybe it was the next day, but either way, what do they do? In verse 12, they, they remind him of the decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? They didn't want the king to forget the punishment that he had promised for anyone who disobeyed him, right? They knew that he was fond of Daniel, so they start with, hey, this is what you said. Remember? Remember this is what you said, and this is the punishment. Don't forget, king. So they remind him, and then they say, oh, it was Daniel. 
And they use a slur to refer to Daniel right off the bat. Daniel, who's one of those exiles from Judah, ugh, pays no attention to you, O king, or the decree you put in writing. They continue to manipulate the situation in their favor by controlling the tone of the conversation, right? They're controlling exactly each step of the way. So notice again, they mention the decree that cannot be changed. And I was thinking about this for a minute. I was thinking, why couldn't it be changed? I mean, he's the king, isn't he? He's in charge. Why, why wouldn't he be able to undo what he did? I mean, certainly just as easily as he said it, he could undo it. Well, in those times, kings were thought to be infallible. They were basically godlike figures. They couldn't make a mistake. So that was the people's understanding of their leaders. So King Darius was not able to undo this decree because it would show the people that he made mistakes, that he wasn't fallible, infallible. And so he needed to keep his word because he needed to maintain his image. So that was unacceptable to, be, to, to have to have rescinded what he had said. So they brought Daniel and cast him into the lion's den. At this moment, King Darius shows an amazing amount of faith in Daniel's God, right? He says in Daniel uh, 6.16, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. It's very confident, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid over the opening of the den and the leaders sealed it with their signet rings. And in this moment, the other politicians, the governors, the satraps, must have felt an amazing sense of victory, right? Daniel is in the den. They have won, right? Their dishonesty had won. Their manipulation and deception had prevailed. They had gotten their way. This means that they felt like the ends justified the means, right? The ends justified the means were here. He is in that den. He's not coming out. And that they could continue to enrich themselves at the king's expense. They could continue taking bribes. They could continue doing whatever they wanted because Daniel was not going to keep them accountable. Finally, that pesky, honest Daniel was out of the way. So at this point, it's clear that Darius is clear. He's like, okay, I'm being played. Surely he noticed the smirks of the satraps' faces as they put the seals on the cave and they snickered at one another in Daniel's demise. I mean, he is in the cave. He's not coming out. So Darius returns to his palace and spent the night fasting and in silence and was unable to sleep that night. And in the morning he arose and went to check on Daniel, verse 20 to to 22. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. May God sent, uh, my God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. So God, by shutting the mouths of these lions, he was vindicating Daniel, right? He was saying, he's done no wrong before me. He was also shutting the mouths of those other politicians who had said all of this about him, right? Shuts the mouths of lions and shuts the mouths of these politicians because God had vindicated him. So Darius's deep concern for Daniel was relieved and it was almost like, uh, like that was relieved from his mind and then as soon as that was relieved, this anger came upon him. This bigger emotion came upon him. 
for the governors and satraps, and he threw those who had accused Daniel and their families into the den of lions, and they were destroyed before they reached the bottom of the cave. So King Darius writes a decree to all the peoples, nations, and languages who dwell in the earth. I'll read it again. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So we can learn a lot from Daniel, right? But I think the primary thing we can take away today is that God is not fooled, right? God is not fooled. His justice will prevail. God is not fooled by these people's manipulation or deception. He's not swayed this way or that by people's words. He is just and true in all things. So we need to learn from Daniel's example to be consistent in our walks with God, being consistent in being blameless before him. But even when people come into our own lives with bad intentions, they try to smear our name or deceive others about us or manipulate us, God sees it all. We need to follow God's way of being people of justice and truth. And if people try to play dirty and get the upper hand on us, we need to continue to play by God's rules because justice will be the result. We may not see justice as swiftly as Daniel did in his case. The people, his enemies were thrown into the den right after he came out. But God's justice will prevail, whether on this side of heaven or on the other side. One of the amazing things we see in Daniel's story is that he didn't take justice into his own hands, right? He had been vindicated. He was rescued out of the den. He could have told the king, you need to go get those guys. Look what they did to me. Try to convince Darius to throw his enemies into the den. No, he didn't take anything into his own hands. We need to remember not to take things in our, into our own hands. We need to remember that God is just, he is perfect and just, and he'll handle it. In the book of Luke, when the Pharisees were trying to be deceptive, Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 12, 20, or 2-3, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So don't try to play their game. Don't try to deceive or manipulate back. Let's live in the light. Let's do what the Bible teaches and trust that God will do the rest. What did Jesus say when he was on the cross being crucified? He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the attitude we need to have with people when they're attacking us, when they're trying to manipulate and deceive and attack us. We need to have that same attitude. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's a tall task, but that's what we're called to do. And if you've been the one, maybe you've been the one shading the truth, deceiving, manipulating, recognizing, you know, maybe, maybe you're recognizing that in your hearts right now. I've been the one who's, who's deceived. I've been the one who's shading the truth. I've been the one who have not been completely honest. I have not been living in the light. If that's the case, 
just repent before the Lord in your heart, but you also need to tell someone, right? Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed, right? So if you've been manipulating, being deceptive, untruthful about things, confess those things so that you can be healed. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for the difficult words. Thank you that we can trust you to be just no matter what and that you will not be fooled. Help us to be people who do the right thing no matter the treatment we receive, no matter what's coming our way, that we would <clears throat> serve you, that we would love you, that we would honor you. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to people's hearts right now. If there are people in here who need to uh, repent of things, need to come to terms with things, need to acknowledge that they've been dishonest with themselves and with others, Lord, just convict right now in all of us. We want to live rightly before you. So convict us, Lord. Help us to recognize where we're, where we're off track. And, and Lord, we trust your Holy Spirit to get us back on track. Lord, help us to confess our sins and not shy away from that because that's the way we're healed. We confess our sins so that we may be healed. In Jesus' name, amen.